Open your Bibles this morning to 1 John, 1 John chapter number 3. I want to speak to you this morning about a wonderful quartet. I'm not talking about the Statesmen or the Blackwood Brothers or any of those. I want to talk to you about a quartet that's got all of those quartets beat for sure. A wonderful quartet. 1 John chapter 3, and as difficult as it is for me not to read verse 1 and 3, I want to just read verse number 2 this morning. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him For we shall see him as he is. The famous British preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was known perhaps more for his writing even than for his preaching, made a statement that really impressed me. He said many years ago, he said, concerning this verse, nothing more sublime than this has ever been written. One's tendency with a statement like this always is just to stand in wonder and amazement at it. I have never chosen in and of myself to preach upon this text. That may be wrong, but this is how it always affects me. Well, I know how he must have felt because every time I read these verses, I feel somewhat the same. I always feel that the beauty of these verses is such that I'm afraid that I will say too much so as to distract from its beauty or not to say enough so as in some ways to, you know, muddy the waters. So this morning I simply want to speak from my heart on those things that leap out at me. And when I read this verse, uh, I see a wonderful quartet of things that we need to consider. This particular verse is special to me in another way that I'll explain at the very close of the message. But for now, I want you to just focus in on this wonderful quartet. First of all, I want you to notice here that there is a guaranteed relationship. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I've often said that it is crucial that we understand who we are and what we have as a result of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll never become the people that we ought to be unless we understand that. So I want you to notice that this verse here begins with a word of assurance regarding our relationship with God. It says, now are we the sons of God. Now let me tell you, that's not what we are by nature. According to Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 3, Paul says that we by nature are the children of wrath. By nature, we are dead spiritually. By nature, we are depraved. By nature, we are separated from God. By nature, we are under the control of demonic powers. That's what we are by nature. So 
Let's be clear about it. Nobody is a child of God as a result of their natural being. There has to be a change that has taken place. And this verse implies that a change has been made. As Paul put it, we are now a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We're not the person that we used to be. Now are we the sons of God. You see, he's talking about what we are at the present, not what we're going to be, but what we actually are. There are a lot of folks that are confused about this. They've got it in their mind that, you know, that we make a profession of faith, we embrace Christ as our Savior, but that we don't become a child of God until finally we, you know, at long last get to heaven And then we enter into God's family. But it's not that way. We are all members of God's family by faith right here, right now. You are as much a child of God as you will ever be. When you get to heaven, you'll not be any more a child of God than what you are right now. Now, there's going to be some changes. You'll be different in a lot of ways. But your relationship will never be any different than what it is right now. And regardless of what you do, regardless of what happens in your life, there's absolutely nothing that can destroy that relationship. You might sin and break your fellowship with God, but the relationship will remain intact regardless of what you do. So this is an absolute certainty because the Bible says God cannot lie. Amen. You know, we get a lot of guarantees in life, so-called guarantees that are not worth the paper they're written on. You know, so many of these companies, they will sell you a product and it says, guaranteed for life. 30 days later, they're out of business. They've changed the name of their company, you know, and so, you know, they just, they just suckered you into making an investment in something that's, that's not worth anything, all because you thought you could trust that lifetime guarantee. Well, let me tell you, this is a guarantee you can trust because God cannot lie. And so consequently, we can say of a certainty that right now, right here, that we are the sons of God. In fact, in chapter 5 and verse number 13, John said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. I mean, we don't have a think so, hope so, maybe kind of salvation. We've got a salvation that we are absolutely certain about, and we have God's guarantee that uh, that is true. Amen? And not only that, but whenever we think about presently being the sons of God, I've got to say there's not anything better than that. You know, some people get all excited if they learn that their rich uncle died and left them $10 million, you know. They think, wow, that is just so awesome. Couldn't be anything better than that. But I tell you, there is something better than that, and that is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nothing could be better. Brother Rome got a good report from the doctors. All of the, all of the treatment is working, you know, and that's wonderful news, but... But the best news about Brother Rome is that he's a child of God. Amen. And for every struggle you go through, every difficult, every difficulty you ever, ever face in life, everything you ever gain in life, nothing, nothing will ever happen that's greater than becoming a child of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That is a guarantee straight from God himself. 
But notice, there's also a grand return. He says that he shall appear. The Bible says that is the believer's blessed hope. You remember that the Lord himself promised that he would return. He said, if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. You will remember that when he ascended up into heaven, that the angels that stood by said, this same Jesus will come again. All of the prophets down through the ages, each one taking up the harp of prophecy and each one predicting that there would be a time when the Messiah would come, not just momentarily for the giving of His life and the sacrifice of our sins, but that He would come to rule and reign upon this earth. You see, all of them foresaw that day that He shall return. He shall appear. Now, there are a lot of doubters, no uh, no mistake about that. A lot of people that would question the Word of God, but there might be a lot of doubters, but there is no doubt about the fact that Jesus will return. It says right here, He shall appear. That's emphatic. You can depend upon that. He shall appear whether we believe it or not. You remember that Peter, whenever he was speaking in regards to the coming of the Lord and those that said, you know, well, where is the promise of His coming? All things continue as they were since the foundation of the world. In other words, you preachers keep harping about it, that Jesus is going to come, that He'll set up His reign upon the earth. And He said everything happened, or it keeps happening just like it was. And Peter says, no, he says things have changed. Remember, by the way, there was a flood. Amen. Things have changed. God demonstrated His displeasure with man uh, and, and, and His sinfulness. Things have changed. God is at work. But then He makes this statement. He says that God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You better be thankful that God doesn't just lose His temper and fly off the handle and, you know, go into a rage because that we have failed Him. But rather, God has a perfect plan that He's working out. And one of these days in the hour that you least expect it, the trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We have the promise of His coming. That's the blessed hope. Listen, our hope is not in who wins the election. Our hope is not in who's going to be the greatest military power on the face of the earth. Our hope is in King Jesus and the fact that He's going to come, He's going to rule, He's going to reign with a rod of iron on this earth forever. And I say that's the grand return. He shall appear. But then notice there's another member of this quartet, and that is a grand restoration. It says, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. You know, man was created originally in the image of God. Now, I'm not sure what all of that means. You know, we think about God, you know, being a trinity, and I know that, that, that man is reflected in that man is a body and man is a soul and a spirit. We have, you know, we're made up of those three individual parts. And there might be a lot more that could be said about us being created in the likeness and the image of God. But there's no doubt about the fact that when man fell, that image was defaced. 
When man fell, we lost, as it were, the image of the likeness of God himself. But when God's redemptive plan is over, that image is going to be restored. So many people have no idea what God's trying to do. No wonder they're confused. They live in a world and it doesn't make any sense. And they think that God's main agenda ought to be to make life fun and easy. But God's doing something more important than that. You know, we read Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. And we look at that and think, oh my, how wonderful it is. You know, it's all about me and God's doing all of this for my sake. But then they never read the very next verse that God has predestinated that we be conformed to the image of His dear Son. That's what God is working toward. Somebody says, why does God let all of this bad stuff happen to good people? It's because He allowed something bad to happen to His Son that He might accomplish good. And unbeknown to us, God is using all of these difficulties in our life to create in us an image like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. So day by day, we become more and more like Him. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 18 says, We are changed. In other words, as we behold the Lord, as we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we do that, as we behold, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, we are changed from glory to glory. Yeah, you said it's what the old timers call progressive sanctification, where we are growing daily more and more in the likeness of Christ. That ought to be a lifelong process, but listen carefully. As long as you live, if you live to be 150 years old and read your Bible through every single day and memorize every word of the Bible, if you give 99% of all of your income and never miss a church service, if you do everything seemingly just right and you stand head and shoulders above everyone else, as long as you're in this world and in this body, you are never going to be 100% just like Jesus in this world. But the good news is when you get to glory, it'll all be glory and you'll be like Him. That's what He says here. We shall be like Him. The change will have been completed then. The fallen image restored in that day. That we'll be like Him finally. But then notice... The glorious revelation, it says, we shall see him as he is. I don't know, to me, that is the, that's the greatest wow moment of all time. Amen. Now I want you to notice a little word that I intentionally left out, and it's important that you consider this. It says, we shall be like him, but notice what goes before that and what goes right after our last statement, and that's the little word for. Notice, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That tells us that as we, as we behold Him, as we see Him, when we see Him, that this is a transforming vision. In other words, that we're not going to be exactly like Him until we see Him. 
We, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Do, do you get it? It's not just because you finally got to heaven and all of a sudden, kapoof, that you'll be like Him. No, it's not just because you walk down uh, Hallelujah Avenue kicking up gold dust under your feet uh, that you'll suddenly be like Him. That's not it. It's not because you've got a mansion in heaven and Grandma and Grandpa and everybody else is there that suddenly you're going to be like Him. That has nothing to do with it. You become like Him when you see Him as He is. That's the glorious transformation. That's the glorious revelation that transforms us into the person that God has been working on us throughout our lifetime. We shall see Him as He is. Down through the long centuries, man has tried to imagine what Jesus looks like. They've tried to capture His likeness in different ways. The sculpture with the clay. You know, the poet with his words, uh, the, 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 you know, the painter on canvas. And we tried to use every means possible to capture his likeness. And, uh, and we still don't know what he looks like, do we? Preachers have preached, uh, Jesus had short hair and Jesus had long hair. They've tried to describe him, but nobody knows what he looks like. But we will in that day. We shall see Him as He is. Not as we imagined Him to be. Before my mother died, and all, all as far back as I can remember, we had a great big picture of Jesus out on the mountainside. supposed to be Jesus. And that picture meant a lot to her because right after I was born, I was just a, a baby, not even able to walk. And... They had a revival meeting down at the Pentecostal Holiness Church where Grandma went, and they were giving away this picture for the person that brought the most uh, most people. And so uh, Grandma got Mom to go, and she carried me there, and so I was <laughs> I, I I was there in her arms. And well, anyway, Grandma won that thing, and it was dear to the heart of of Mom and. Um, she always worried about whether Sis and I was going to fight over that picture when she died. The strangest thing happened when, when Mom died, we couldn't find that picture anywhere. It was gone, kapoof, gone. And I know, you know, I know Mom, I know what happened. She got rid of it in some way. I don't know what she did with it. Sold it there in the, in the, antique shop or something she got rid of it so we wouldn't fight over it the thing about it is i didn't want the thing i don't have a picture of jesus in my house anywhere i don't want a picture of jesus now now if that listen if that lights your fire help yourself i'm not against you i'm not mad at you i'm just i don't want any picture of jesus I don't, I don't go to picture shows where it shows him being crucified on the cross or something. You can go. That's fine. I'm not mad at you. I, I, I just don't want to see any depiction of Jesus. But someday I'm going to see him as he really is. Not as somebody thought he ought to be. What a day that's going to be whenever you think about it because our, our human mind just can't comprehend all of the glories that await God's children. 
We get these images imprinted on our mind, but in that day, we're going to see him face to face. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 33, verse 17, Thine eyes shall see the king. But he didn't stop there. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. That's why I keep saying that the best is yet to come. That one of these days we're going to look upon the one who is altogether lovely. We're going to look upon the one that we have dreamed about and preached about and the one that has thrilled our heart and saved our soul. You know, we've thought about his glorious character. We think about, you know, his virtuous life, how he was tempted in all points such as we are, and yet without sin, and we have sat and we've wondered about, you know, his glorious character. We thought about his sufficient sacrifice and pictured him there on the cross dying for us. We thought about his boundless love for us, the fact that he loves us unconditionally. We've thought about his infinite mercy, his amazing grace, his mighty power, his unlimited provisions, and all of these other things that he has done for us and promised to us. We think about those precious promises, but then in that day, finally, 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 at long last, We'll look upon the one who is altogether lovely, the chiefest of 10,000. We'll see the king in his beauty. Whenever I think of that, I feel like Charles Wesley went on the anniversary of his first anniversary after he had been saved. He wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing of my Redeemer and my King. That's the way I feel whenever I think about the fact that one of these days we're going to see him. Now, let me share with you why this particular verse is so so special to me. I mean, there are those four reasons, but but it's special for another reason because of an experience many years ago. Way back over 40 years, I can't remember the exact year. Uh, I was preaching in uh, in or near, my mind's not as good as it used to be, Mountain Grove, Missouri. I don't know, we going around in different little communities there preaching what we call revival, you know, contender crusades, and we didn't get an invitation into a church. We just rented a building somewhere and started handing out flyers and holding services and Never having any idea whether anybody's going to show up or not. Well, somewhere down there in the in the hills of the Ozarks, we, we were doing that, and uh, someone showed up to the meeting. They came to hear me preach. You know, I don't know why, but they came I, for whatever reason. And uh, they, in some way, they were associated with, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it an old folks home, but I'm not sure what it was. And they wanted to know if I would go there and speak to those people there. And I said, well, sure, I'd be, I'd be glad to. Had the services during the night. And so the next day or two, whenever it was, made arrangements to, to go out there. And, uh, and it was way out in the country. I, I mean, way out in the country. It wasn't just, you know, in, in town on a main street. I'm talking about the Ozarks now and gravel roads and stuff like that. And it turned out to be one of the strangest experiences I, I'd ever had in my life. Whenever we finally got out there, 
wherever it was. Now, listen, I'd been in a lot of nursing homes. I'd counseled with people in, in the psych wards of hospitals. I'd uh, preached in prisons and different places like that, but I'd never been in a place like this. And whenever I got there, and it's like I just drove up on the, on the set of a scary movie, an Alfred Hitchcock thing. This is a big old mansion type thing out in the middle of nowhere in this grove of great big gigantic oak trees. And you get out and, and you know, you're, it's spooky enough whenever you get out there. And, and, and you see the people, some of them, they, they don't let out of the rooms. I didn't know whether it was a prison or an old folks home or a, or a mental institution. I still don't. It was kind of a mixture of all of those things. But all of these people were walking around, or not all of them, but many of them, there's old people out there, and a lot of them just sitting around drooling, and others, you know, feeble, walking around on a cane and benches and stuff. But nobody was smiling. It was the saddest thing I'd ever seen. And it was like they, they were, it's like they were zombies. I, I, literally, I, it was just shocking. And I thought, oh, my Lord, what have I got myself into? What am I going to do now? Man, I thought it was going to get there and they was going to have somebody, you know, playing the piano and have a real nice service, you know, and, and everybody excited to see me. Well, they got, you know, a bunch of those people sitting around out there and we had the service outside the best I remember. And and uh, <laughs> and I got them, I thought, okay, I'm going to give them three points and no poem. It's just going to be three, you know, three points and I'm out of here. And I thought, okay, what? And, and, and this verse came to my mind. And so I opened my Bible. They didn't have any Bibles. They, 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 they were so out of it, you know, it wouldn't have made any difference. But I, I read, I read this, this verse. In fact, I think I read all three verses. And, and I told them, I said, I want to talk to you about something wonderful today. And so I, I mentioned the fact, I said, uh, we are the sons of God. Now, we're not sons of God by nature, you know. We have to be born again. But, but once we've been born again, we're the sons of God. That's wonderful. It's more wonderful than anything else and on and on and on. They just sat there just... Now, they hadn't been looking at me. They wouldn't look in my eye. But now some of them are looking at me but not smiling a whole lot. And, but they're looking at me. That's progress. But then I said, I'm going to tell you something more wonderful than that. Oh, what could be more wonderful than being, being a called a, a, a child of God? And I said, well, there is. I said, notice what it says, that we shall be with Him. That, that's more wonderful. Eternity. Right? I mean, that could be. But something better than just being a child of God is being a child of God with the Son of God. Boy, now, now all of, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, some of them are, are starting to, not all of them, but some of them are starting to, their eyes are starting to sparkle and, and there's even a smile or two. And then I got down after talking about that a little while and I said, now let me tell you something even more wonderful than that. And now they're looking at me like, boy, you need to be in here. You've lost it now. What could be more wonderful than being a child of God and being with the Son of God? And I said, well, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. 
Because that's like the capstone on everything. We finally, at long last, we shall be like Him. And all of a sudden now, their eyes have lit up and all of a sudden you could see some of the little women begin to mouth the words of praise to the Lord and all of a sudden I, I just right before my very eyes I've seen them come to life and whenever I left there that day I left there with the feeling that I had just been in the presence of God and the reason this meant so much to me and that I've never forgot about it is the fact when I look back on that experience, I want you to understand that's the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. To take an old, dirty, rotten, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner that's dead in his trespasses and his sins, and for that child to become a child of the devil, to become a child of God, and to be transformed in his likeness is so wonderful beyond description. It goes to show the difference that Jesus Christ can make in a person's life. We're going to be with Him. We're going to be like Him. Finally, at long last in that day. I, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, I here in just a few days, I'll be preaching from this chapter up at Rogers Baptist Church and not from the verses that I'm going to mention, but but he says in verse 16, we faint not. Well, oh, that's unusual, because I'll tell you what most people do. Most people, you make a profession of faith and they start out, but somewhere along the way, it all falls through, and you don't find them anymore. And Paul said, we faint not. Though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. You see, whatever you're going through, God is working to renew you day by day. And then he says, our light afflictions. Think about that. And go back and read what he's been talking about. He's talking about great difficulties. He said, we're troubled, perplexed, we're persecuted, we're cast down. He says, all of these are light afflictions. And he says, they're but for a moment. Just for a moment. Just 90, 100 years, that's all. Just for a moment. And they worketh, notice, not against us, but they're working for us. A far more exceeding weight of glory. And then it ends with these words, while we look, not at the things which are seen, but we look rather at the things which are not. As we have our eyes and look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, He enables us to endure until the end. And in the end, we'll be with Him and we'll be like Him. Doesn't get any better than that. That's the best quartet I know of anywhere. And if you don't know this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have the hope that we've been talking about, I beg you this morning, don't leave this place until you have the assurance of salvation in your heart. 
We're going to give you an opportunity to do that just now. We're going to stand and, and, and extend an invitation. Those awaiting baptism, if you would please, you can be dismissed at this time. If God's speaking to your heart about your need of salvation, would you come and let us take the Bible and show you how you can have this hope? It might be that God's speaking to your heart about uh, uniting with this church or whatever it is. Would you come just now while we sing together? We ought to be becoming what we're going to become. take care of the invitation but you know so many times I think everybody here would agree that 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 song should express the desire of our heart to be like the Lord I think everybody here would uh, would vote in the affirmative if I said how many of you think we ought to do the will of God we all know that's what we ought to do but but sometimes we fail to do what we know we should do the Bible says about Jesus that He did always those things that pleased the Father. Now think about that. Always. He did always the things that pleased the Father. Is that what you're doing? And you, and, you, and you look back at the path He took and the things that He did. And let me tell you, it's real easy for us to find out what it is God wants us to do. Because all we got to do is look at this old black book I hold in my hand. And it describes very clearly that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will for the unsaved person is that they be saved. God's will for the new Christian is that they follow the Lord in baptism. God's will for the believer is that they be a part of the Lord's church where they can serve Him together. So whatever it is that God wants for you, are you willing to do His will this morning. We're going to sing this next verse, and, and, and if God is speaking to your heart, would you come let Brother Kenneth know, Brother Preacher, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be in His will 
regardless of what it takes. You come while we sing.